Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Listen now to God's word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven, is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This picture on the screen uh, is a picture of a, an icon that Greg brought back from the Holy Lands as a gift for me. It's, it's about this small in my office, and I took a picture on my phone and blew it up. It turned out pretty good. But it's uh, one of the oldest pieces of Christian art that depicts Jesus holding the, the New Testament in one hand and then doing something with his other hand that is usually interpreted as teaching or giving some sort of blessing. Uh, and we're talking about this idea of blessing this morning and, and what that might mean for us. Uh, and so I just wanted us to see this, this picture uh, of Jesus, perhaps the top of a mountain, teaching his disciples and telling them what it means to be blessed and who are blessed. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that you will open this scripture this morning for us to hear your word. Uh, God, help us to understand uh, what was meant originally in this text, and also what it means for us here in 2020 in Scott County. And God, we pray that you will draw us all nearer to you in these moments, and that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anybody want to be blessed? Does anybody not want to be blessed? I mean, that seems like an obvious thing, right? We all want to be blessed. One of the most popular forms of Christianity in America is something that's commonly referred to as the prosperity gospel. Have you all heard that phrase before, the prosperity gospel? Raise your hand if you've heard of that before. You know what I'm talking about a little bit. The prosperity gospel, uh, at its core, simply states that God wants you to prosper. And that phrase alone sounds innocuous. Doesn't God want good for all of us? But the question has to be asked, what do we mean by prosper? This way of thinking, the prosperity gospel, it, it, many of us have splinters embedded into the way we think, even if we're not wholesale into the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel takes scriptures like Jeremiah 29, 11 and says that God has plans for you to be wealthy. Scriptures like Matthew 7, 11, which says that God gives good gifts to those who ask and assumes the good gifts are material. 
things, or things like good health. The prosperity gospel is driven by megachurch pastors, some with net worth up to 60 million, who write books with titles like Your Best Life Now and Laws of Prosperity. And they all have subtitles that are something like Six Steps to Eternal Bliss or Seven Steps to Be a Millionaire and all these things that are, have contained nuggets of truth in them but also tend to just focus on material goods or physical health. Kate Bowler is a historian, and for some reason, she spent a decade of her life researching this movement, dedicating 10 years to traveling around, visiting these mega churches, sitting down with these pastors, and she describes all of them as having immaculate hair, <laughs> talking with church members, she said that, that she is known in her family as ruining their family vacations because wherever they go, she says, just drop me off at the nearest megachurch. She's fascinated by this movement. She describes the prosperity gospel as a belief that God grants health and wealth to those with the right kind of faith. The modern prosperity gospel can be directly traced back to the turn of the century, to a pastor named E.W. Kenyon. He taught Christians to believe that their minds were powerful incubators of good or ill. He said that Christians should avoid words and ideas that create sickness and poverty. Instead, they should repeat the following mantra. God is in me. God's ability is in me. God's strength is in me. God's health is mine. His success is mine. I am a winner. I am a conqueror. Kate Bowler says that most of the followers in this movement summarize it all with the simple phrase, I am blessed. Blessed. What a confusing word. What do we mean when we say we are blessed? In our social media world, blessed has become a word that we post as a caption on pictures, on any picture that shows a life of abundance. Picture of a new house? Blessed. Picture of a new car? Blessed. Picture of a beach vacation? Blessed. Announcement of a new job? Blessed. But what are we implying when we use that word? Kate Bowler, this expert on this movement, got a phone call one day at the age of 35. It was not a phone call she was expecting, but one she will never forget. She was told that she had stage four cancer. Her response was, but I have a son. She had a one-year-old son at the time. The prosperity gospel says, follow these rules or this formula and God will heal you. And this is what it means to be blessed. If you do the right thing, pray the right way, think the right thoughts, then God will reward you. It carries with it this subconscious notion that I can manipulate God into making me healthy or wealthy. 
All of this is wrapped up in the American culture simply with one word, blessed. And so when we come to scriptures like Matthew 5, we have no chance at understanding the words of Jesus unless we unpack our inherent baggage that comes with the word blessed. We can't help but look at these words and try to look for the formula, try to figure out the rules of prosperity, try to read them and ask the question, how can I be blessed? But alas, that is not what Jesus gives us. That is not what we get. In fact, his words go a long way to destroy the entire foundations of the prosperity gospel. This idea of blessings, of prosperity, it thrives on a society built on the American dream. A society that values the accumulation of more. But in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus comes announcing a different kind of society. In fact, Jesus comes announcing not just a new society, but a whole new kingdom. Jesus comes in and flips the underlying assumptions, much like he flipped the tables in the temple. Jesus comes not announcing a new society, but a whole new kingdom. The Gospel of Matthew, it begins with a genealogy of Jesus, connecting his birth all the way back to the birth of Abraham. And we get the birth narrative of Jesus and the story of the wise men, John the Baptist's announcement that he's preparing the way for the Lord, the baptism of Jesus, his temptations in the desert, and then his calling of the first disciples that Pastor Greg preached about last week. But what's noticeably absent through these first four chapters is any real teaching from Jesus. He hasn't said much yet. In Matthew 4, 17, shortly before the text that we read this morning begins, we're told that after the temptations in the desert, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' initial message to those who would listen was about turning from sin because there's a new kingdom. He came to announce a new kingdom. And he says that that new kingdom is near. Now Jesus isn't just talking about the time being soon of the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about its presence is close by. It's near. The kingdom of heaven has come close to earth. It's not just something to be looked forward to, but something that is here and now. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come near. Its presence is close. The kingdom proclaimed by Jesus throughout the Gospels but especially here in what we commonly call the Beatitudes, is a reversal of the world in which they lived. The striking thing for us who live in the 21st century American church that's permeated by the prosperity gospel is that these Beatitudes, 
It is still an announcement of a kingdom that is a reversal from our current way of thinking. This idea that Jesus is announcing a kingdom is crucial to understanding the whole of the New Testament, but especially for these Beatitudes we're looking at this morning. And before we dive into Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at an Old Testament passage that shines light on what Jesus is doing. You see, beginning your teaching with a list of blessings might sound strange to us, but this is not something new. And to Jesus's Jewish listeners, what he's doing would sound familiar. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and hear these words about the foundations of a kingdom. Okay, we're talking about the foundations of the kingdom of Israel. If you will only obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all his commandments that I am commanding you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Now listen to this list of blessings similar to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall, you be, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your livestock, both the increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you, and shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways." The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you undertake. He will bless you in the land and the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And verse 11 says, The Lord will make you abound in prosperity and the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground, in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give you. So this idea that if you follow the commands of God, you will be blessed. It has truth in Scripture. Specifically under the Old Covenant, the people of Israel, the foundations of their Prosperity was the understanding, if you follow God's commands, then you will be blessed with earthly abundance. And this was what the Jewish listeners to Jesus' teachings would have had in the background. And then they get to hear what he says, as Jesus is announcing a new kingdom under a new covenant and it's a reversal from what they were expecting. The, the chapter 28 in Deuteronomy goes on, and there's more blessings, but then it takes a turn to the other direction. If you don't obey the commandments of God, you will be the opposite of blessed, which is cursed. It's a very serious business. If you don't obey the commandments of God, you will be cursed. 
in Matthew 5, we get something kind of strange. You see, the law of Moses says, if you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. Jesus' Jewish listeners would have known these passages. But finally, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins his first detailed teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapters 5 through 7 are known as the Sermon on the Mount, because, much like Moses, Jesus travels up a mountain. Sitting down, he began to teach his disciples, and he begins with a list of blessings. Except he doesn't say, if you follow this commandment, you will be blessed. Instead, he reverses it. These blessings uh, are given with an unconditional, as an unconditional gift. There's no if, then. They're blessings that imply some sort of supernatural joy or bliss that comes from God, not a material gift. While the Old Testament is talking about a kingdom that's built upon physical earthly blessings, this new kingdom is built on something else. Right off the bat, in the New Covenant, Jesus is teaching that blessings often come through suffering. In fact, Jesus uses words that sound an awful lot like the curses from Deuteronomy chapter 28. Talk about a reversal here. He uses words like poor, mourn, hunger, and thirst, and even the word persecution. These are the ones that are blessed. In the Old Covenant, these things were part of the curses. Now in the New Covenant, they become part of the blessing. In these eight statements of blessing, Jesus declares a state of blessedness over groups of people. And they're general. General groups of people. The reversal happens when these people groups are not the ones that the disciples or the crowds or you and I would expect to be the ones who are blessed. Instead of the blessed ones being those who observe the Jewish law, or those who work hard, or those who give money to their church, the blessed ones are people groups who are destitute and downtrodden. Look at the list of those who are blessed. Those who are poor in spirit. This implies economic poverty as well as a reliance of, on God. Those who are poor but also have the Spirit of God. Those who mourn, those who are grieving some sort of loss, those who are meek, those who suffer, who have been humbled, but they do not seek revenge. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are people who yearn for God's will above their own. The merciful. Those who show compassion when it isn't earned. The pure in heart, those whose lives and desires are wrapped up in God's loves and desires. Peacemakers, those who seek reconciliation instead of revenge or punishment. And finally, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
These are people who are more concerned with righteousness than their own well-being. All of these are general people groups who have no power in their society and no material wealth. This dramatic reversal of who is blessed leaves the listener wondering one question. It leaves me wondering this this question when I hear the list of Beatitudes of who is blessed. It leaves me wondering, am I in or am I out? Am I included in this list? Do I see myself in the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek? I imagine the disciples and the crowds wondering that question as he goes through this list and saying, do I fit in there? Do I fit in here? Am I blessed? Am I going to be blessed? And then, finally, after this first list of eight, Jesus, who is the master teacher, he draws his listeners in by changing the way he is speaking. He adds the second person plural, which in Kentucky is y'all. In the Greek, it translates just simply as you. Jesus says, blessed are you. And I imagine the disciples going, wasn't sure I was going to make it in there. Wasn't sure if I was going to be in these people groups that Jesus is describing. But thank goodness I'm in. Blessed are you. But Jesus continues and says, when... People revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And again, we see that the blessings in the new covenant come through suffering. Kate Bowler, after receiving her diagnosis, goes on to to talk about that suffering and how hard that time in her life has been since her diagnosis. But she also describes this overwhelming sense of love that she has received since her news. Love from her friends and her family who have been by her side. And love from her God, who she has felt as being closer or nearer during this time of suffering. A few years ago, I uh, got a strange diagnosis myself. Uh, It's nothing life-threatening, but it was certainly life-altering for a little while. I I tore my ACL, which alone was was bad enough. Uh, But after my surgery, my nerve block lasted twice as long as it was supposed to, which was kind of scary. I couldn't move my leg for two days. And when it it wore off, uh, a, a strange tingling sensation began in my foot, which is kind of normal. But when the tingling started to go away, it turned into a burning sensation that began in my toe and spread to my foot and up my ankle. My foot turned red and was swollen. My surgeon was baffled (laughs) because you may not know the ACL is in your knee, not in your foot. (laughs) The surgery was nowhere near my foot. And the surgeon continued to say each time I saw him that He was nowhere near the nerves that go down into my foot. And so he kept throwing Percocet at the problem. I, even in the midst of taking the drugs that he was giving me, still had this burning sensation in my foot because it turns out that Percocet doesn't touch nerve pain. It's a different type of pain. 
After a month and a half of this, I finally got in with a pain doctor who changed my medications. They did nerve tests. They figured out that I had suffered nerve damage somehow. We don't know how it happened. Um, but that even after the nerves would heal, that this might not go away. <laughs> because I got diagnosed with this weird thing called complex regional pain syndrome. It's also known as RSD, regional sympathetic dystrophy. Those are a bunch of big words you don't need to remember. Simply put, it's a nerve disorder that affects pain regulation. My foot thought there was a problem, even if there wasn't. And there are people that live with this the rest of their lives. Mine is under control now. I don't have pain, although my left foot has like a strange sensation a lot of the time. I tell you this simply to say that if you were to ask me a time in my life when I felt closest to God, I would without a doubt talk to you about those long nights that I couldn't sleep, that I was just crying in bed because of the pain as a grown man, or that I would get up and take a hot bath because that was the only thing that seemed to be able to help. Sleeping an hour and a half most nights during finals in seminary. It was the hardest time in my life. And it's strange. I wouldn't go through it again, but it's strange. That's the time I felt my God closest to me. I'm convinced that God was blessing me in the midst of my suffering. The Beatitudes show us that the blessings of God have more to do with a joy from His presence than they do with any sort of earthly prosperity. This understanding of who is blessed is so important to the author of the Gospel of Matthew. He makes it the very first teaching that Jesus gives his disciples. Perhaps that is because it sets the scene for what Jesus will do at the end of his ministry. To put a stamp on this upside-down kingdom where blessings come through suffering, Jesus goes through suffering himself to bring us the ultimate blessing. Jesus goes through the suffering of the cross to bring us the blessing of salvation. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, and says, But the law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus himself takes on the curse so that we can be blessed. And that blessing is his presence. His promise that he is with you and that he is with me and that he never leaves us. In fact, in times of suffering, he often draws nearer to us. As you come to the table this morning, remember the presence of God here this morning is the blessing. It's not the car you drove in to get here. It's not the house you go home to or the food you eat for lunch, although the United Methodist women do a great job. It's the nearness of your God and his blessing comes through his suffering. It is his upside-down kingdom that is all around us.
Let's pray together. God, we pray that we will be blessed. And by that, we don't mean with material goods or earthly gifts. God, we pray that we will come to know your presence in deeper ways. Draw near to us and help us to know your nearness as a reality all around us. As we come to the table, help us as we reflect on your suffering, remembering that it is through that suffering that you bless us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.